the years leading up to uh, World War II in the late 1930s, many people believed that Adolf Hitler was just fine and well. He posed no real threat uh, to the continent of Europe. There was one, however, in British Parliament who was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he said, whatever you knuckleheads do, do not trust that man there in Germany. And of course, that one lone voice, one man's name, was Winston Churchill. And for his opposition to Hitler, many people uh, persecuted him. In fact, in the House of Commons, when he rose to speak about the looming danger of Germany, that many rose up and shouted him down and literally made him stop speaking. In uh, Hitler's own words, in Mein Kampf, in my battle, ten years before World War II broke out in the 30s, he already had outlined his desire for world conquest, and yet really nobody seemed uh, to believe him. A man by the name of Lord Londonderry said, listen, Churchill, you just need to get over this. They are no real threat to the tranquility and to the peace of our European continent. And so Churchill visited Germany in the fall of 1932, and he wrote these words. All these bands of sturdy, teutonic youth marching through the streets and roads of Germany, they have a light of desire in their eyes to suffer for the fatherland. And they are not looking for status. They are looking for weapons. And when they get their weapons, they will ask for the return of all lost territories. May the 4th, 1936, Londonderry recently met with Hitler and he told Churchill, he said, I should like to get out of your mind what appears to be a strong anti-German obsession. And of course we know the result of Churchill's prophecy. It absolutely unequivocally came to pass as Hitler began his uh, desolation and destruction of Europe. As I read the book of Revelation, I see so many prophecies, so many words of warning, and it's almost as if the Spirit of God is shouting to us through the anointed Word of God to prepare to be ready, for there is coming a day of cataclysmic, catastrophic horror upon planet Earth for those who do not know or have a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Uh, today, I come before you with great passion, and yet I have great compassion as I share a message out of Revelation chapter 6. Perhaps you've read it and interpreted it as the four horsemen of the great apocalypse. Many people believe that these events that I'm about to read to you have already transpired. They have already happened, and that is the preterist or partial preterist position. And yet, I respectfully disagree with that position and believe that at least Revelation 6 through 19 are events that have yet to take place. For example, in our text today, it says that one-fourth of the entire population will be destroyed in a brief amount of time. Has that happened? No, the bubonic plague does not classify because that only appealed to or applied to one-fourth of the European continent. So I believe that Revelation chapter 6 is a foreboding, ominous warning of prophecy that will happen here on planet Earth as things continue to get worse. And so, let me read it to you, and then we'll share this message with you, and I think you'll find that what a blessing it is to know Jesus Christ and to have peace and to escape the wrath of God. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now, the Lamb, if you're just joining us in our study of Revelation, we've been studying it for just a couple of weeks now, and uh, we, we, we've got just a couple more weeks to go. No, 
I talked to a friend of mine this weekend. He says, are you still studying the book of Revelation? I said, yes, and we're going to be studying it when Jesus comes. Amen. We're, we're, we're in it. We're in it and to win it. Now, I saw when the Lamb, that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He opened one of the seals. This is the, the scroll, the title deed to planet Earth that unfolds all of the judgments that are going to happen in Revelation 6 through 19. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, was found worthy to open the seals and then to enact the judgments contained therein. And then John said, I heard one of the four living creatures. You remember those guys? Those four cherubim-like creatures, wonderful creations of God that exist to do two things, to worship God and to bring about the wrath or the judgment of God. He said, I saw one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice like bronte is the Greek word. Bronte sounds like a word, a masculine, strong connotation of, of strength, and that's exactly right. A voice like thunder, and the living creature said, come and see. And I looked, and John said, behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown, a stephanos, was given to him. And that is very important. The word crown there, it can be one of two Greek words. It can be stephanos or it can be diadema. And if it's diadema, then it always is going to refer to Jesus Christ, the crown of diadem, the crown of glory. This is not Jesus Christ. This is the Antichrist. He has a crown, a stephanos crown, and it was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, and he said... Come and see, another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that, should, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the, the third living creature say, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a chloros horse. It's where we get the, the, the Greek is, is chloros. It's where we get the English like chloroform or chlorophyll. It's this pale pallor, this greenish color. And he who sat on it, his name was Death, and Hades followed after him. And power, the, and the word there, power, is not dunamis, not strength of power. It's the word exousia. And that word means authority. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Now, obviously, the, the longer we live, the closer we're going to get to these events in the Word of God. It is known as the Great Tribulation. You, see, you, you believe, Brother Danny, that we are living in the days that could lead right up to the events described in Revelation chapter 6? Yes, I do. I believe we certainly could. And I really believe this will happen barring a mighty intervention of God where God comes and sends a spiritual awakening, a revival like we've never seen before to spare us the judgment of God that is yet to come. As I look, as I read the newspaper, as I look on the internet, as I watch television like you do, I'm hoping that 
Russia will back away from Ukraine and give them their sovereign right to exist. I really hope that. Anybody else hope that? I do. I hope and I pray that's the case. I'm praying for peace, Brother David. I pray every day for the peace of Jerusalem and that Hamas, this militant terrorist group, would be utterly shut down. Benjamin Netanyahu said Hamas and ISIS are the same people. They're the same kind of people. Of course, I believe and I hope that ISIS... I'm praying that God will break their teeth, that God will destroy them. I really do. I pray that unless God saves them, I pray that God strikes them down because they are a militant, vicious people who are determined to wipe out Iraq and Syria. And many people believe they would love to come and to destroy our nation. Of course, I pray that God takes them out. And then I pray for the security of our borders. Um, on the eve of 9-11, people believe that we will experience another attack. Don't you pray with me that does not happen? But don't you also understand with me that it is very possible that that will happen because there is this rumbling of, of war and rumor of war, and, and it's, not just, it's not just over here in Europe or over there in Africa or over there in one of those countries. I tell you, it just seems to permeate our land. I believe that Matthew 24, when Jesus said, all of these are signs of the coming of the end. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus, do you remember this in Matthew 24? They said, when is the coming of the end of the age? Now, the end of the age is the end of history as we know it. It's the end of life as we know it. And the disciples asked Jesus Christ that very pointed question. And Jesus responded in Matthew 24. He said, when you hear of war and rumors of war and desolation, and you, when you hear of, of heresy and you hear of Christ who are saying, I am the Christ and I am the Messiah, when you hear of those things, then beware that is the beginning of the end. So I'm with you. I am praying that God spares but I also am a realist and know that God will judge. Now, some of us are looking, some of you are looking at me like, why is God so angry? Why will God come and wipe out a fourth of planet Earth? Well, here's the deal. We in America have become so desensitized to sin, it's just so common. Every single movie, every single sitcom that you watch today will have proudly displayed some kind of homosexual couple, as if that is just part of the fabric of the United States. That's just part of who we are. God, God doesn't smile at that. God, God takes marriage seriously. God takes life seriously. God takes sin very seriously. We don't. And so God will come and God will judge. And we have been warned. So as we walk through these four seals, I, uh, I want to share with you what my interpretation is as to who these figures are, who these writers are, on these horses. For example, number one, let's look at seal uh, uh, number one. It says there, and if you can, guys, let's just pull the text up as, as we go along. I, I, if you can, go back to uh, Revelation chapter six. If you can't, it's no big deal. I'm going to whip out my iPad today. I feel so fancy. I feel so ready. I am 50 years old, and I'm moving into modern technology. All right, yeah, aren't you proud? I've got my iPad here. He said, when I saw the lamb open one of the seals, I heard this voice of the creature who said, come and see. So who is he talking to? Who is the living creature talking to? There are three interpretations. One is he's talking to John, but John's already there. Number two, the creature is talking to Jesus, but Jesus 
He's the one enacting the judgments. He's certainly already there. And so I believe that the person that he is summoning is this person who is on this white horse. When he says, come and see, he, he summons him, and now he comes with a bow, but notice he has no arrows. He has a bow, but he has no arrows, and yet he is going to have a crown, and he is going out to conquer, out conquering and to conquer. Many people, many scholars, and, and myself, I certainly humbly put myself in this camp, believe that this is the Revelation 13, this is the beast before people see him as a beast. This is known as the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, who is to come on planet Earth at some time. He may even be born. He may even be alive at this very moment. And when he comes, he will be a very dynamic, charismatic character. And he will have a smooth tongue, and for a while, he will bring in a time of conquering peace without shedding one drop of blood. You say, now that's not possible. Oh, yes, it is. Look, look at our gullible nation, for example. We, we will fall over and worship. Literally, Jamie Foxx said, oh, Barack Obama is my personal Lord and Savior. I mean, he said that. I mean, we have a lot of gullible people who just, if, if you just look a certain way, and if you just say the right things, then people are so easily uh, deceived. So I don't know if this person is going to come out of Europe, of Africa, America. I, I, don't, I don't know where he's coming from, but I know he's coming. And he may even be alive today. And he will bring in a sweeping time of reform. And for a while, Daniel chapter 9 says, for a while, everything will seem to be okay because it will be an age of peace, albeit... It'll be a brief age of peace. Number two. The seal number two. He said, when I opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And this horse was fiery red. And he went out. And it was granted to him, to the one who sat on it, to take peace from the earth. Now, this one's pretty easy to understand because this would be the fiery red connotation of war. After that three and a half years of peace, it's going to be absolutely destroyed. There will be no peace. And now there will be a season of unprecedented horror and unprecedented war. Robert Thomas in his commentary says, the forces of war and bloodshed with their consequent horrors. You know, Jesus warned us. He said at the end, at the very end, there will be wars and rumors of wars. I was reading Dr. David Jeremiah's message on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and he did some great research, and I want to share a little bit of, with you when he talked about the history of mankind, about, about 6,000 years of modern history, if you will, modern history being the history of mankind. He said in about 6,000 years of recorded history, there have been over uh, 14,500 plus wars. That is two and a half per year since man began to count. War is a part of our very culture, and it will continue to be till the end of the age. War, he said, is escalating. It is growing. It is becoming more and more of a problem. Twice in one generation, the world was plunged into a major world war. And then he goes on to talk about the horrors of World War I. Some would say, well, that's probably the fulfillment of, of one of these uh, horses because World War I, I tell you, that was a horrible time. Ten million people killed, another 20 million, you know, maimed and wounded. But, it, but no, just 20 years later, after 1918, around 1937, 38, there became this skirmish of war in Germany with Adolf Hitler. 
And what happened there? Well, World War II claimed 32 million people killed on the battlefields. 15 to 20 million people were killed in bombing raids on civilian populations. 25 million people died in concentration camps and 30 million people were wounded. I believe all of that is a prelude to what is to come. A war like no other war. The animosities and the hatred and the vitriol, nation pitted against nation, and this ominous creature riding on this second fiery red horse that personifies war. Well, number three is the third seal in verses 5 and 6, and this, this one represents the apocalyptic uh, black horse of famine. You know, famine always follows uh, a war. In fact, even in our very day, guys, even as we speak, I don't know if you are keeping up with what's going on over in the Ukraine, but a, a prelude, I think, to this end times war would be a war like this. And let me see if I can pull this up in my email here. There it is. This is from the front lines of what is going on in the Ukraine today. The re one of the refugees says, you cannot imagine how it feels when shells and mines are exploding nearby. Not everyone's mind can cope with it. Many women and children literally have lost the ability to speak. Others have started to stammer and children have become gray-headed in a matter of weeks. Children are gray-headed because of the travesty of war. It is a scary sight. For weeks, people are hiding in basements. There is no food, there is no water, no gas, no electricity, none in our city here in the Ukraine. Because why? It's been devastated with war. Famine, catastrophe are always following on the heels of war. And then it closes out by saying, on the streets, dead bodies of civilians are lying, and often they are not permitted to be buried. Furthermore, some of these bodies are mined. At some point, they become a prey of stray dogs. Then mines are exploding, killing everything in its way. In this third seal, it talks about this balance, this scale. And the Greek word here is zygon. And if you can picture in your mind's eye, it is a, it is a bar with two pans on either end. There is a weight in one pan, and then the other one is where you would place the barley, the wheat, or the food to measure it out. Did you read that interesting text there? If we could put up on the screen, I think it's around verse... Um, yes, there it is, verse 6. When he said, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. Now, a quart of wheat would suffice for one day to be able to eat. Okay? Now, remember... John's using language that they knew back then, but it's easily to translate it today. A quart of wheat would suffice for one man's sufficiency to eat. But a quart of wheat is a denarius. A denarius back then was a full day's wage. Are you with me? So it takes a full day of work to get one quart of wheat so one person can survive. Barley, which is a less staple, well, it, you get it a little bit cheaper. You can get it, it says, three quarts of barley for a denarius. And then in verse 6, it says, and do not harm the oil uh, and the wine. And to me, that is, a, that is an interesting statement, is it not? One writer put it this way. He said, olive oil and wine used with the preparation of cooking food, as well as the purification of water, it will need to be carefully protected. You know, I was reading my quiet time the last couple of days. I was reading the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it talks about oil and wine, where the Good Samaritan poured out the oil and wine to assuage the wounds and the pain and the hurt of the person who had been beaten up. So I don't know, perhaps the oil and the wine refer to the purification of the water and so forth, as others believe, or it could refer to medicine. Whatever you do, don't harm the medicine because this is such a horrendous, catastrophic time. And then it talks about this, um, this fourth seal. And this fourth seal is it's, it's, it's interesting. He says that in, verses, um, in verse 7, it says, When the fourth seal, I heard this voice. It said, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, it was a pale horse. And the name of who, he who sat on it was death, and Hades, or hell, followed close behind him. The Greek word, as I mentioned a moment ago, chloros, it's where it's this pale greenish color. One writer says it is the green pallor of death characteristic of the decomposition of a corpse. And the name who rides on it is death. A fourth of the people on planet Earth are going to die, and Hades will receive them. So if that happened today, what would that look like? Now, my numbers are a little bit dated, but I'm going to use it because it's, it's easier math for me. Uh, six billion people on planet Earth, for example. And in a brief span of time, about three years, 1.5 billion people are going to die in the Great Tribulation, if I'm interpreting this text right. Some of you are looking at me like, Whoa, Natalie, time out. Wait, wait a minute. Is this really going to happen? I mean, is, surely this is some fable, some myth. Surely it's just some, something written by man to try to manipulate. No, I, I believe it really will happen. I believe it will happen precisely as God says it will happen. There will be a time when the wrath of God is poured out on planet Earth, but praise God, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be here, and I hope you're not here. You say, well, how do I escape this? How do I get out from under the wrath of God poured out upon the sin of mankind? Well, the only way you get out, there is one escape. There is one lifeline. There is, there is one thing that you could grab onto, and, you, and it can give you life and can give you forgiveness of sin, and it is nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. It is His cross. It is His blood shed for your forgiveness and my forgiveness. And if we believe in Him and trust in Him, God's only Son, God's only remedy, then we are pardoned and then we are taken out of planet Earth before this time of great tribulation known as the rapture. As I read this text with you and as I study it with you, it is very ominous. And it's, I mean, if you think it makes you uncomfortable hearing it, how would you like to preach it? I mean, I am, I am sweating. I mean, my palms, I mean, I'm just, I just have this sense of, wow. And, and, and some of you may be thinking, well, how does, how is this supposed to make me feel? Precisely. I don't know of many, many people who are going to preach on Revelation chapter 6, especially in America. Because as we heard just this week, and, and you know, and I've, I've read Joel and Vicki Osteen's comments, like many of you, and some of you have lit up Facebook. You are fired up and ready. Your team is alive. I mean, you are, you are upset, and I just want to say, rightfully so, however, my heart's kind of sad for them. They made the statement that when you come to church, you should never hear a sermon like this. When you come to church, you should feel wonderful, you should feel good, because worship is all about you, and it's not about the Lord. 
I mean, literally they said that. And, and people are fired up and they're like, but you, you would never hear a sermon like this because there's a time where you, where you feel this weight, this heaviness, this conviction. And that, that is precisely why you need to hear it. Because if it is true and if there is a God who loves us, but there's also this awesome God who loves us who will judge he will vindicate, He will pour out His wrath, then you better be ready, you better know Him, you better understand Him, because He is awesome, He is powerful, He's coming again, and before He does, though, He gives you an opportunity. He gives you, he gives you grace, He gives you mercy. Will you, will you be forgiven? Will you allow Him to forgive you? So, as I wrap up this, uh, this message, I, um, I'm going to do something just a little, bit, a little bit different. And by the way, I have lots of information in this, uh, in this sermon. In fact, I've I got to say something about verse 9. I, I know I want to I move kind of quickly because I want to give us plenty of time for the Lord's Supper. But in verse uh, 8 and 9, it talks about death and Hades, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth, and here's how they die. You die with a sword, with hunger with death, and by the beast of the earth. Now, I have no idea what these beasts are, but when you have this kind of chaos in the world, then you've got these wild animals roaming. Some people believe, Dr. David Jeremiah, John MacArthur believe it's going to be a bunch of rats. Now, I, I don't know. They, they really do. They, they believe that rats will be all, like the bubonic plague all over again, and not the Mickey Mouse variety, they say, but... These, they, and this is an interesting quote. It says, this creature comes in one of 550 species, and they reproduce at an astronomically high rate. A single pair of rats, you ready? Ratology in 101. A single pair of rats can produce 350 million descendants in three years. And if you were to exterminate 90% of the rat population in any, any given area, it would replace itself in a year. Again, it's, it's hard for us in America to get our hands around this. But come with me to some of the places I go. Go to some of these countries that I go to and hear one of your team members hollering and screaming because there is a creature underneath her bed. Not to mention any names, Claudia, but there was a creature <laughs> underneath her bed. Come in here, Mike, what is this? And, I tell you, and in India especially, as I've traveled, especially heading down toward the, um, the Taj Mahal, oh my word, it is a billion people and there's so, so much like little, little children with no clothes and just naked and just animals and rats. Just, but we can't, we can't fathom that. Because, and we can't, certainly can't fathom hunger, can we? Did you know that 2 billion people tonight will go to bed hungry? Out of 7 billion people on planet Earth, 2 billion of them will go to bed tonight hungry. Many of them will not wake up because they have died of hunger. And it, it's so hard for us in America to get our hands around this and our arms around this because... I'm afraid that we have been lulled to sleep through our pastors and through our teachers. We have been told in America that church is about us. Let's pack out our arenas. Let's do everything we can to please us. And we've forgotten God, and we've forgotten His Word. And then on those lone occasions when you do hear a message like this in this country, it just about blows us away. We're just like, well, I can't, I can't imagine that. Let's hear something else. Let's hear, let's hear something like, Everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. It's going to be okay if you know Christ. But if you don't know Christ, then it's, it's going to be horrific. But I'm trying to spare you that. So I printed this, this, um, 
this message on the screen. If you're here today and you're not ready for these four horsemen of the apocalypse, you're not ready for any of these things to transpire here on planet Earth, then I would invite you to give your heart to Christ. Listen, this is what I'm offering you because this is the only thing that works. There are plenty of religions, there are plenty of messiahs, there are plenty of Christ, there are plenty of, of prophets, but I'm going to go with the one who died and arose from the dead. The one who offers forgiveness of sin and to escape the punishment of God. And I would encourage you, okay, we very may well be in the last days. And if, listen guys, if Russia says no, and if ISIS grows, and our borders remain porous, we are in trouble. Okay? I'm just telling you like it. We, we are in for some days. I hope I'm wrong. I hope all of those things do not happen. I mean, I hope all the, earlier in the message, I hope all of those things are wrapped up and tidy and for another day. But if it doesn't, this prayer may not mean a lot to you now, but it will one day. So let me read it to you. You can say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for me for my sins on the cross. I want to turn from my sins, and I invite you now into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're listening on television or if you're watching us on the Internet or if you're here live at 10,500 Jollyville here at uh, Great Hills Baptist Church, I invite you. You are one of two people. You know Christ. You love God. You're ready for Him to come again, or you don't know God. You don't know Christ. And if you don't, I plead with you. I, I urge you, in the name of Jesus, I urge you to surrender your life to His and allow the Spirit of God to come into your heart. Now, what we're going to do at this time is one of my favorite times of the year is where we observe the Lord's Supper. It's a time where we partake of the elements. We take the juice, we take the bread, we ingest it, we eat it. And then we, as we do it, we are confessing that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We believe that His body was broken, battered. His body was bruised. His body was crucified as He took upon Himself the whole weight of the world's sins, okay? Your sin and my sin. And His body was broken and beaten. He was placed in a borrowed tomb, and He's dead. But three days later, glory to God, God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, raises Him from the dead, and Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and Jesus Christ is the very one in Revelation chapter 6 who is guiding these events. So if you don't know Him as your friend, as your Savior, one day you will know Him as your judge. So I'm inviting you. I'm imploring you. I'm not trying to scare you. I mean, look, I'm all five foot. How am I going to scare you? I mean, I'm, I'm really not that intimidating of a soul. But I, I bring this message to you as a message of hope, as a message of redemption to spare you from what I believe was going to happen maybe in our lifetime, a very cataclysmic, catastrophic time here on planet Earth. So deacons, y'all ready to help me? We're going to serve everybody here. Deacons, if y'all would stand, I'm going to say us a, a prayer, and then we're going to move right into our time of Lord's Supper, thanking Jesus for His death, thanking Him for His resurrection. Thank you, God, that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son. Father, here we are today, 2,000 years removed. And we are so blessed, Lord, to be able to read the Word of God, understand it, and to be able to see that this world is in a desperate way. And Lord, when you come, you will save your people. You will save our day. 
But Lord, then there are so many who are going to endure, they're going to walk through these horrific, horrible times of tribulation. And Lord, our world is poised for it. You've, you've told us this is exactly what is going to happen because men's hearts are cold. And most would reject a message like this, and yet they're going to actually fulfill the very message they reject. So Lord, we thank you for the day of grace. We thank you for the day of peace. We thank you, Lord, for this time of freedom where we get to come together and we get to praise you, God, and thank you for salvation. And Lord, as believers, as we partake of the elements today, God, may it be a time of reverence. May it be a time, God, where we pause and we give you glory and we worship you because of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Oh, the love of God poured out on sinful man in the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, bless us now as we partake of these elements. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.